Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody. I'm really glad you could join me tonight because I have such an exciting show here. I wish I had five or six hours to talk to this lady, but I don't. But we're going to get as much in as we can. I have Carol Nervig with me, and she's written a book called The Petroglyphs of Mu, Panopi, Namadal, and the Legacy of Lemuria, all of which topics we could, we could certainly do weeks on. While residing on the small Pacific island of Pompeii, and and she'll pronounce it when I pull her on, but I'm going to stagger through it anyhow. In the 1990s, she discovered that a recent brush fire had exposed hundreds of previously unknown petroglyphs carved on gigantic boulders. This portion of the megalithic site called Pompeii was unknown even to the Ponape's State Historic Preservation Officer. The petroglyphs were unlike any others from Oshina, and and she began investigating and comparing them with petroglyphs and symbols from around the world. She documents her discoveries on Ponape, revealing how the archetypical symbols of the Ponape petroglyphs had exact counterparts in other ancient cultures and universal motifs throughout the world, including the Australian Aborigines, the Inca in Peru, the Vedic civilization of India, early Norse runes, and Japanese symbols. She provides evidence that Panapade is closely related to yet to and yet predates here that predates neighboring Nanmadal and shows how Panapade was an outpost of the sunken city of the now-vanished civilization of Mu, or Lumeria. She examines how many of the glyphs symbolize celestial phenomena 
and clearly reveal how the creators were sky watchers with a sophisticated understanding of astronomy, geophysics, geomancy, and engineering. She shows how the scientific concepts depicted in the petroglyphs reveal how the citizens of Mu had a much deeper understanding of the living Earth than we do, which gave them the ability to manipulate the natural forces both physically and energetically. Combining archaeological evidence with traditional oral accounts, she reveals, she reveals Ponopade not only as a part of a geodectic network of ancient sacred sites and portals, but also as a remnant of the now submerged but once enlightened motherland of Mu. I have to admit, um, there was so much in her books, in her book, that resonates to a lot of the material we've looked at and looked into on this show. So she sort of ties a lot of the stuff together. So um, we're going to see how much of this she can link in the short time that we have. Welcome to the show, Carol. Well, thank you, Barbara. I'm very pleased and uh, appreciative to be here. I look forward to our our chat. (laughs) Thank you. Now now that I have butchered how to pronounce the names, the (laughs) Ponape and Ponapade, how are they how are they pronounced right? Well, you know, that's a great place to start. Uh, and it's it is very confusing. Uh in the old days, well not the old days, uh some still now pronounce the name of the island as Ponape. Uh but that's sort of an English ver- version of you know, the difference between Milan and Milano. And in Pompeian language, the name of their island is Pompeii, and it's really important because Pompeii, it literally translates to Pon is a pond, and Pei is a stone altar. So the the whole island is is a stone altar, according to their the the inhabitants, the Pompeians. <clears throat> So that's one piece of it. And then adding to this confusion is uh, the petroglyph site itself uh, is named Pompeid with a D on the end. And so it's very, very similar. So, uh, uh, but there are two, one is the name, Pompeid is the name of the island, Pompeid is the name of the petroglyph site. And then sometimes people confuse it even with Pompeii in Italy, which of course has nothing to do with it. But yeah. <laughs> now, you you fell in love with this area when you were in um, the Peace Corps, or is that how you got your um, juices flowing with this particular area of the world? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, our group um, went to Pompeii in, in 1969, and we had six weeks of training. Uh, back then, there wasn't a road around the island, and so our training site, we we actually went by a steamer for two and a half days so and got off into outriggers. Anyway, that's how it began. So we had six weeks of cultural and language training at this particular village, and then our reward for 
completing it, they organized some outboard uh, boats and motors, and uh, <clears throat> we were to go on a trip to Nam at all. And so none of us really knew what Nam at all was or what the big deal was. And we had to leave in the middle, you know, before the sun rose because the only way to get through the reef there is during high tide. So we made the whole trip uh, in the dark, and then we climbed out of the boat in the dark and, and got to the main uh, area there. And when the sun came up, we were surrounded by these amazing 40-foot basalt walls, and it was just... I was, that's when it began. That's when my <laughs> obsession, <laughs> because I was, as I mentioned in the book, it was, you know, I was just amazed. But on the other hand, I was emotion. I was angry. It's like, why doesn't the world know about this place? This is, re this is comparable to all these major sites, and, and no one's even heard of it. So that became my job, I guess, to start telling the story of these sites on Ponte Island. <laughs> well, I, I think also that, that um, and, and I, I didn't mention, but I, I should have, that that you created the Non-Modal Foundation as well. And Non-Modal is, is, yes, it's, it's an amazing site that is not understood and misinterpreted like crazy, but... Mm -hmm. In, 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 you know, what, what is your explanation of why Namadal was created? Well, that's, that's a large question. And, <clears throat> however, there is an answer in the, the Pompeian oral history. And, uh, the, and it's in it, the, the petroglyph site that my book is about is part of the answer to that, I believe, because uh, I believe the petroglyph site is older than non uh -huh. And the oral histories talk about these, uh, these brothers that they were circling the island looking for a place to build their administrative center, their religious center. And they started in a few other places. And then when they finally got in the vicinity of where Namadal is, there's a large bay there. And they climbed this pyramid mountain, pyramidal-shaped mountain, and looked down. And they saw the city of the ancients under the water. So that is why Namadal was built where it was. And uh, the petroglyph side, in my opinion, also... Uh, confirms this for, for several reasons but uh, so it's it was built to honor the sunken city under the water which of course has not been found and uh, hopefully <laughs> all I need is a submarine <laughs> but, uh, so I'll be able to help so, you with that <laughs> yeah well so the, it's the same old situation, site upon a site. And, you know, many sites, sacred sites around the world are originally pagan or whatever, and then usurped by churches and religion and so on and so forth. Uh -huh. But um, the 
I believe that the uh, the petroglyph site, which is all the elements of a major sacred site on its own and aside from Namadal, is either another uh, remnant of that city under the water. But you know, if, if things were, if the waters rose, uh, often cultures have their sacred places on mountaintops. And so where the petroglyph site is, you know, at the time when the, the city actually is given a name by uh, oral history, Kanimoiso, and uh, so it could have been a mountaintop a sacred uh, area for shamanic journeying, for their whatever spiritual ceremonies and beliefs and so on and so forth. Uh, it, so it could have been that, and also, or it could have been uh, created in the same principle as Nam at all, to honor what's under the water, because all three sites, the petroglyph site, Nam at all, and what's under the water, that location there, I mean, it's all very within miles of each other, and it's, uh, I mean, the reason it's all there. Uh, the base reason, in, in my opinion, is it's it's a it's a portal. It's an interdimensional portal, as or many cultures call them navels, and uh, they're found all around the world. And the ma the major sites, I mean, they're a system of these. Well, I think what what I found was you know, Namadal has gotten a really bad reputation, and you know if you. It, it's so often spoken of as being someplace that's cursed and it's evil and it's all sorts of stuff. And it makes greater sense that it is, it is set there to, to mark where, where the, um, the, the, the city of light, you know, went down and, and it's, it's right there. And I think that, um, in seeing how overgrown Namadal is and, Certainly, certainly the the uh, Pompeii uh, is also overgrown. I think what people don't understand is that there, there truly are places in this world that are so overgrown that the the signs of antiquity are just not there anymore. And the the story of how you you discovered the the um, the petroglyphs is is a is a fascinating one because um, it, they've just been laying there waiting, and um, you were going to show a friend of yours um, a couple of boulders that were there that that were were um, goddess um, goddess related, and you tell the story. It's, it's a it's a very cool story. <laughs> well, it was pretty much a life life-changing experience in many ways. I mean, I was already hooked on numb at all, but this uh -huh. was, um, yes, there, I mean, there are two, the, the petroglyph site has sort of two components. One is this huge, enormous, solid rock outcrop, and it's covered with petroglyphs. And at the time, everybody, you know, everybody knew about that, and people would go go see them and I'd been there many 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 times and I wasn't even thrilled about 
taking my friend out there because it's hot. <laughs> it's miserable. So uh, uh, I talked him into an air-conditioned car rental. I said, if you get an air-conditioned car, I'll, I'll go. And those that know me know <laughs> I don't do well with heat and humidity. Um, so uh, when we got there, though, the, 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 the second part of the site is a meadow somewhat, well, at the time it was burned off because Pompeii gets about 400 some inches of rain a year in the, the center of the island. And so it's always rainforest jungle. And you never, uh, I mean, everything's always overgrown. So there had uh -huh. been a drought. And for just for fun, you know, the kids had, you know, matches and they saw that it burned. So they just burned this whole field off just, you know, because they could. <laughs> anyway, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so we walked up the path and looked over and here's this meadow with nothing. I mean, it was all burnt. And we saw these large stones. And so, uh, you know, of course, we headed directly over there. And uh, when we got to the first one, which was enormous, uh, and we got up close, and it was covered with petroglyphs. And these are not, uh, and it was, there were many of them, not just one uh, uh, megalith, huge boulder. They were, they were strewn over this whole meadow. And uh, we just, I mean, I was in complete shock and, and was just kind of wandering around. I mean, he had the presence of mind to take a lot of photographs. I took a few, and I uh, and there are who knows how many more are there, undiscovered, because number one, they could be on the bottom sides of these stones, and the smaller stones, and and how many more? Uh, I mean, we we did not thoroughly cover the whole site, but. Um, it was, uh, when that happened, it was so, uh, it did get my attention. I mean, how often yeah. is there a drought? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Has it has the site now become overgrown again? Well, unfortunately, it has. I mean, there have been, uh, while I was there doing the nonprofit for NAM at all, uh, I, uh, that was during the time when I came across the petroglyph field. And so I tried to get, you know, some grants and get, well, it was still relatively not overgrown. And I I wasn't able to do that, and, and mostly because nobody knew they were there. And, excuse me, um, so uh, that was in, when did I leave, like, 93, 1993? And so after I left Pompeii and uh, started working on my books, um, I realized I, I really wanted to have more photographs of the petroglyphs. And so in 2018, I did a GoFundMe um, trip back to Pompeii uh -huh. for the purpose of shooting more photos. But when I got there, uh, my Pompeian family took me out to the site, and it was totally overgrown, and it was, they weren't <laughs> too excited about traipsing through the, 
the, the jungle there. But, uh, and I only managed to find one of the, the, probably the largest boulder. And it was completely overgrown with trees and roots. And the smaller wow. boulders, no idea where they were. And it was, you know, I was there for a month, but trying to get the government to get funding and get a crew, you know, it needed at least a dozen men and machetes. And so uh, it nothing moves that quickly on the, in the island. No. So that was disappointing. But you you said that you said that it appeared that there was even a stone circle there, but it wasn't exact. It looked like it had been moved around a little bit, but that would make sense too. And is there? I know originally the site was considered to be goddess oriented because there was a, a a penis stone and there was a vagina stone there, and wasn't that what you were taking your friend to see at first? Well, it's confusing because there are uh, actually, uh, there was one well-known Takayan Pasu, which translates to clam stone. In Panabean uh-huh. language, clam is slang for vagina. So <laughs> it's kind of, anyway, uh, so we were headed there because that's where the, the, the fork in the road turns to the big petroglyph outfit. When we got to that first and well-known already vagina stone, that's when we saw the cleared uh, meadow. And we headed out there and found at that time another enormous vagina stone. And then the only new discovery on my 2018 trip back was right by the road. It was a smaller, I got to looking at it, it was this literally stone shaped like a clam and the petroglyph was the scallops on the side of the clam so I did yeah I did get a picture of that so uh, the vagina stone and this huge megalith monolith uh, phallic stone that is currently on its side whether it ever stood up or whether it was really that I mean the, the concept of Pompeii being a Fertility site is mine. Nobody, because nobody has seen any of this or, you know, connected the dots with this site. And the uh-huh. reason, the oral history, uh, there, there, are different versions of legends about how those vagina stones were originally women or goddesses that came from the sky and came there and they were, you know, they were uh, dismembered by a magician or they were uh, uh, one way or another uh, cut up into form these vagina stones. And, uh, and there was no oral history about the phallic stone whatsoever. And the one, the well-known vagina stone that everybody already knew about the legend surrounding that is if you touch it you get pregnant so that's certainly a fertility <laughs> aspect and the, I, I, and I the, would say so yeah well it didn't work I don't know I, <laughs> it didn't work for me thank god but uh, well but now you uh, have all of you have pictures of all of these glyphs what do they suggest, glyphs tell a story, 
what kind of a message were the glyphs giving? Well, as far as the oral history goes, there's nothing. Even the family that lived on the land that knew there were stones with writing on them, they have no idea who made them. And so, and there's no oral history about the the glyphs and their meaning, nor the purpose of the site. Uh, the only so that's why I'm uh, I feel it's much older and older than Nam at all because there's there are many many oral histories and stories very detailed uh, surrounding Nam at all. But uh-huh. so the the. The one, uh, the main uh, legend about this Pompeii petroglyph site is that uh, two brothers from a different district on the island, they stole a blanket and they came to the Pompeii site. Some, you know, the, all these legends have a lot of variations. They flew or they came or whatever. They came on their stone canoe or whatever. And they threw the blanket down on the earth and because uh, they didn't want to get caught or something. And so after they did that, there, they dis, there was a doorway. They put the blanket on top of this huge outcrop, and there was a doorway in the, in the outcrop, and they exited. They left through that doorway never to come back. So the, a blanket could symbolize writing uh, in a way. Uh-huh. I mean... You know, in these early on in these, they didn't have words for any kind of technologies that might be advanced or whatever. So they went through. Well, you, this is what I considered a, a a portal site. Uh-huh. Well, you said you you also were showing how a lot of the symbols were very very um, similar to those in many other cultures. And you know, when we're talking about age wise. I mean, about what time frame do you put um, Lemuria and Atlantis and, and, and certainly this site? How old would you say they are, guessing-wise? I know you I know nothing. <laughs> the question I always dread. <laughs> but, I mean, well, first of all, uh, I'm, in general, uh, Mu or Lemuria is older than Atlantis, and as uh-huh. the, those continents, the land masses sank in the Pacific. Some before it sank, there were those that oh, they already established colonies of higher civilization elsewhere around the world, and then of course during its demise and after, there were survivors or uh, that came. And one of the the and Atlantis. I mean, maybe not all of the the beings there, but they were, you know, from Mu, and they established it originally, and uh, and then other influences later, and of course the time, you know, it's just very very complicated, uh, and and as far as you know, my niche is the the petroglyph site, and petroglyphs are, of course also impossible to date. So yeah. um, anyway, I'm assuming that petroglyph site was, uh, well, 
it could have been after you know the major cataclysms and floods around you know between 10 then 10,000 and 12,000 BC so it's uh-huh. it's uh, i would you know perhaps the 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 youngest that petroglyphite be would might be a few thousand years less than that you know 6 7 8000 BC and you know as you know there Gobekli Tepe and other sites I mean there and Yanaguni in off the coast uh-huh. of Japan they're all dated uh you know before that time of the the 12000 or 11900 yeah, years yeah i you know just, just the, you know i i am not an archaeologist and don't claim to be one however um i have i have some talents and skills in other directions and my feeling is that atlantis lemuria probably dambadal and certainly this site um predate the cataclysm so that so that they've truly been lost in time and mm-hmm. um you know, there there was there was an ice age, and then there was a, a flood, and there was all sorts of stuff. And right. and right. you know, rocks rocks seem to survive just about anything. And yeah. um, you know, they do. And and so I would I would bet money that that when the plates shifted, when the poles shifted, that that this particular part of of the uh, the Earth plate never never froze or anything, so it was always you know it was always in full growth and and stuff like that. But of course the populace was gone because of the mm-hmm. because of the cataclysms, and you know it just sort of sat there waiting. And you know there there are crosses with with um, one two and three. Uh, circles around them there, that you see in lots of places. There, you know, your your book has wonderful examples of of different um, pictographs, um, petroglyphs um, that that really are similar in with all cultures all around the world. And uh, it, it just it's it's sort of like what 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 it is. To me, fascinating is that petroglyphs—they—they um, they don't stand for a word; they stand for a concept, and it's very much like hieroglyphs. And depending on the level of consciousness of the person doing the interpretation, it—that then determines what that feeling is that is being expressed. So, exactly. um, so, so I kind of figure. Um, you, you discovered something, and you probably have the ability at some point in time to get your consciousness to the point where you can get the feeling for the the, the point of, of the message. Uh, you know, clearly they were leaving a message of some sort. It's, it's sort of like I often wonder, how do we leave a message for 10,000, 12,000 years from now? And, you know, it's, you know the written word and and a computer disk and all of that is not going to float it it's it's got to be something that sends a message that that is undeniable and you have to hope that the consciousness of the people trying to understand it is in the right place to understand it and that's probably what's happening here and, and the same thing with Egypt and 
in a lot of other places, you know, the the archaeologists have the intellect to to decipher the the symbol and what they think it means, but not the level of consciousness to actually pull the meaning from from the picture. That's just me. Exactly. Right. Right. But well, and I. Uh, go ahead. No, I just, I, I loved, you know, you have wonderful gla- graphs, you have wonderful pictures of the continents, and and when both Lemuria and Atlantis were both above water, it's very clear how there easily could have been migration from continent to continent to continent. I mean, there's there's just no doubt. And um, Well, yeah, they, the Nav- Pacific Navigators, you know, they've done that in, in, in more recent times and traveled even further distances in their outriggers. So, yes. Yeah. One thing about the petroglyphs, and, <clears throat> you know, and again, a petroglyph site is often, I mean, uh, rituals go on there. There's, there are, there, and Pompeii is, is no, no different, located on a Telluric grid line and, there's archaeo astronomical components, but the petroglyphs themselves uh, often, you know, again, like site upon site, there are layers of petroglyphs upon layers, and some I have no doubt are more mundane and some more esoteric. And back in the time of Mu, it was they were you, they didn't really have a language, and so the very first written symbols it was they were symbols and, and petroglyphs and uh-huh. they were to be felt with your hands i mean you would feel and hear them and so again those the that civilization was a lot more highly evolved and could do these kinds of things but uh and then slowly as you know they became more embodied in the physical and language uh-huh. developed and but uh, yes, that the the symbols were well the megalithic libraries, what I like to call them, and um, yeah. and one thing about the dating, I I I Namadal is quite m- much more recent. The very uh-huh. the, the the conventional dates 900 A.D. and to 1600 A.D. is where the the huge structures were built. However. The archaeologists have found material evidence of zero to 200 A.D. So, uh-huh. that, and and there were also and and people don't they don't really talk about this much. Uh, most of the you know the program that you see about Nam at all, but there were there was a civilization. There were people already living on Nam at all before these brothers came and started these huge structures, and they they were considered by some to be the the first engineers of the site. So it's all very complicated in dating and and uh, Atlantis and and Mu, the civil Lemuria Mu, I mean who knows how far that went way back and you know that at this point there's not really uh any way of dating that. Plus, you know, now our we're on this linear time space uh, paradigm, and at that, you know, if you go back far, time might not have been linear. <laughs> so uh-huh. there's all that to, to consider. 
Um, well, I, you know, I was so delighted when suddenly I saw you bringing giants and little people into it too. Um, that, that to me, I, I, I have, I believe in both of them, and yet try to get archaeologists to to say, yeah, they existed. But um, tell the story about about how you had guides that were actually little people. Right, right. Well, of course, archaeologists, they have to be careful because, you know, they survive on grants and funding and, you know, and yeah. uh, at least publicly. But, uh, well, I I was back when I, in the 90s, I after the Peace Corps, I left, and then I, midlife crisis came back in the 90s to do the nonprofit for Namadal. And when I was there, I kept having this dream, and the dream was saying, go to Takayu. You have to go to Takayu. You have to climb Takayu. Well, Takayu is that pyramid mountain that in the legends that the brothers, they climbed and they saw Namadal. I mean, they uh-huh. saw the city of the ancients, Kanemoiso, under the water. Okay, so I... Uh, I, I borrowed a truck, I guess, and drove out. I knew the general vicinity, and I, you know, finally got some got on the right road and drove out to the area. I mean, road, using the term loosely. <laughs> anyway, I was uh, questioning my sanity, and then finally I came across this house. So I got out and uh, started talking to them. I was, you know, where's the path to climb uh Takayu, and they said, "Well, uh, you know, it's it's uh, you can you can access it from our property." And the guy said, "I'll send my my two sons with you to help you find it." And I thought, "Oh, great!" And you know, there were these two little kids, and they figured I figured, you know, uh, <laughs> well, no way I could have found it by myself. Anyway, so we walked yeah. through the mangrove, and that was always interesting, and. Uh, and we started climbing, and it's a pyramidal-shaped peak, and it's really steep. And uh-huh. it's deceiving. It didn't look all that big, but we got about uh, halfway up, and, you know, I had them going ahead of me because I had a skirt. I mean, you had to wear skirts, and I had on flip-flops and a skirt, you know. <laughs> so Great mountain climbing. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was actually much younger at the time, but finally we were about two thirds of the way up, and I said, "Look, I got—I don't know if I can go any further." So we sat down, and started talking, and I said, "Well, so what grade are you guys in?" And you know, I thought they were maybe, uh, you know, maybe ten, twelve, fourteen, something like that. And they uh-huh. said, "Well, no, we're out of school." <laughs> and I'm—I said, "What?" And they one was twenty early twenties and the the other one was seventeen or something like that. I'm going, oh my God, this is here. I'm out here. This is not proper island behavior, and and so you know I was just blown away because they were short. I mean they were little, and uh-huh. so so I asked them. I said, well, are you guys uh, are you guys some of the little people? And they said, yeah. Yeah, it's our family. We're the guardians of this pyramidal peak, and and we, our ancestors were were here, 
you know, when the, when the legend of the stones falling from the sky and making this pyramidal mountain, there was a battle in the sky or a battle between magicians or various versions. Uh -huh. So that was my my actual experience of uh, of meeting um, some little people on Pompeii. Not not too many. I mean, in general, they're shorter. I did not meet any giants, however. <laughs> I mean, who knows what jungles? But but the, the oral history is very clear that there were they have names for the little people and the giants, and it's just kind of uh, accepted. I, it's it's fascinating that that they have survived that long as as little people and not you know inter intermingled and mix their their genetics and stuff like that. But I think you said someplace in the book that in the eighties they they were still in the census as a uh, a tribe. Well, that yes, but that was Hawaii. The the little oh, okay. people in Hawaii they're known as Menahune. Or they're also known as the Moo. I mean, the Pacific Islanders, uh, they don't have a problem accepting Moo. And it was the, uh, was it the 1800s, mid to late 1800s. Oh, I'm so bad at dates. And they had Manahunis listed on the Hawaii, the official U.S., uh, not U.S., but the official Hawaii census. So there's actual legal documentation of them in Hawaii. Well, and you know, so many people say, "Nah, nah, there were never any little people." And um, I, I know Mary Joyce has uh, met people that have have met little people that were very little little people. Um, mm -hmm. So, so they're still around. And um, obviously, the giants are a lot harder to hide, but um, they. Definitely, uh, there there are, I guess, throwbacks or fallbacks or whatever genetically, and and there are some people that are quite tall, but um, and and they don't have giantism, you know, that they are just naturally very very tall. So, um, and, and I think that that what what you are pulling up and and you know putting into the public eye is the fact that um, the the this this part of the country and and cer certainly Micronesia, um there's there's magic still there and and the the Lemuria is is close by um Namadao um makes it even you know more magical that that there could be the the ruins of of a of an amazing city under under underwater there but I guess very it's very deep there, so you you can't. Um, I know you mentioned that you you had done diving, but it, it's deeper than you can go. Is that basically it? Well, yes, I did a lot of scuba diving there and had some interesting experiences with that. And but the Kanemueso, I believe it's way you know it's really really deep, and because uh -huh. it's outside the reef. I don't believe it's in the big bay there right next to Namadal. There may be entries there. And uh, I did find, some, I was swimming with my ex-English student from the, P, well, I was in the Peace Corps. He was, in the 90s, he was uh, 
the uh, official in the Historic Preservation Office. And so we were scuba diving one time, and we and we were at Namadal. And the weird thing, when you everywhere else in the island, the water is clear, crystal clear, pristine, you know, world class scuba diving. But right around Namadal, it's murky. You can't see barely five feet ahead of you. And anyway, so we were Namadal sits at the edge of the reef, so we were scuba diving along the reef, uh, looking for whatever uh and we came to this kind of a natural opening it looked like kind of a natural cave like thing and of course we only had one flashlight <laughs> i had the flashlight so we swam in there uh, it wasn't all that far but and then i just thought oh well this is and then we went to the back wall and there there was a man-made tunnel there were three there oh, was wow. one to each side, and they were made of columnar basalt. And uh, of course, unfortunately, they're only like two feet by two feet. So with scuba tanks, you couldn't get, you know, we couldn't go in. And then before, before I knew it, uh, he left. He went up to the surface, and I'm going, what the hell? And uh, of course, I had to go with him, you know, scuba diving. I didn't. I had to stay with my buddy. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't. I followed him up. And I, you know, I said, why did you leave? And it was, I think he was kind of embarrassed because he was afraid. He was not afraid. He was freaked out. And he had a, you know, he had a college degree. It wasn't like he was some, you know, <laughs> um, well, uh, what's the word? Well, anyway. And he, so, he wasn't a neophyte, uh, yeah. No, he superstitious is the word that I was. I mean, he was. Oh, okay. Anyway, but like you say, Namadal has sort of a bad reputation because you know the Peace Corps. I mean, nobody went there. The locals were afraid to go there, and so because of the the, the spirits and the. So, I mean, that's changed over the years, but there's uh-huh. still a lot of reluctance, and um, and there is one account. Uh, Masao Hadley told me, and he's he's the Pompeian elder informer that you know uh, was crucial in in sharing all this information. Anyway, he told that there was that you know they go diving and turtle hunting, right? Uh, uh-huh. Spearing turtles, and so there were some fishermen, and they were well turtles or whatever they were. But the one guy speared this turtle, and the turtle took him way way down deep you know, outside the reef, and he came uh-huh. back, both came back with stories of this amazing city under the water and with streets oh, wow. and so on and so forth. And because they came up too fast or what, they both died. So uh, oh, wow. that was it. And so, you know, is this true? Is I mean, who knows? But uh, Masao is, you know, the most respected expert on them at all so uh well you know your 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 book i mean it covers so much material that that it's phenomenal and the linking of the of the petroglyphs um across cultures does suggest Mm. that, that there was a a single source 
for all of humanity and and you know you certainly are suggesting that it was Lemuria and it makes perfect sense what what is your hope for what the book can do for bringing all of this sort of into the public eye so that so that more investigation is done well, first of all, at you know the uh, more mundane level, I mean to share these petroglyphs because professionals, archaeologists that see these petroglyphs, they will get that this is something worth uh, taking a second look at or a deeper look uh-huh. at. All of these, because they're not they're not like you know the Hawaiian petroglyphs are very elegant. They're more like stick figures. These are uh, very some of them very sophisticated. And I believe, uh, especially astronomically. And so my hope for this book will generate interest in funding to get some professionals out there, to get LIDAR, to get new technologies at the petroglyph site, because who knows what's underneath and who knows what configurations these uh, megaliths might might be in. Uh, So Uh that is... uh, I mean that was my motivation because the the both the historic uh, preservation and the I mean there's there's no one on Pompeii that's ever seen these they've all passed away there was another archaeologist there and I took him to the site and he I, he's no longer with us so I didn't there was nobody else that could could do this so it was like and I just didn't. I wanted to share all this before I'm while I'm still around, and uh, uh-huh. so that's the the first goal. And the second, you know, acknowledging Pompeii as a, a goddess site and what that entails, and being part of a system of sacred sites of a grid around the planet <clears throat> that these ancients were so connected to nature, a part of nature, and they built these pyramids and these sites. And because they understood the earth energies, and I think it had a lot to do with creating balance on the earth, whether it's weather or harmony or stabilization. And you know, as we are just going hell bent to destroy our our planet these days, there is so much to learn from looking at these sites with more evidence, connecting more of the dots. Why did they do this, and what? You know, there have been lots of studies on the pyramids and the the water and electricity and what the, you know, that's, this is all part of that system. So Uh I would hope both of those things might happen. (laughs) And, you know, the the big picture, this was a goddess site. This was that back then when they understood the planet, there was balance between the masculine and the feminine. And, you know, we've certainly got off the rails there. So I guess that would be my third uh, outcome to not domination by either one, but balance. Well, I think the fact that that if you go way back in time, I mean, you you mentioned Laird Scranton, and he's been on the show uh, a number of times. And and his, his, um, the um, Maury and, and, uh they what what I find fascinating is when you get way back in antiquity, it's not really a religion but it's a spiritual practice 
and it's a spiritual belief system. It's not worshiping anything. It's it's um, it's having reverence for something, and and there's a difference. And I think that that you know what you've got going here, especially taking it back to I love I love you know you you called it you know the um, the mother um, of all um, of all of humanity and mother and so and and i think the motherland yeah and and it it just it makes great sense and i think you know people have more or less you know admitted you know yeah atlantis existed they're not sure exactly where but it existed and i think that you know you're right on the precipice of getting them to accept the fact that so did lemuria and I would love to see people looking, you know, with submarines out there trying to find the city that is submerged there. And, I mean, after they, after the Japanese found um, the, the site that they did, it, it, it should be very, very clear that, that there are other sites that have gone underwater. And um, especially, you know, it, probably it was a comet hit that, that melted a lot of the... Um, the polar stuff and and it flooded everything and so it it makes great sense to be looking for Lemuria as well. I mean, at first Lemuria and Atlantis were both myths and now they say well Atlantis did exist. They're just not mm-hmm. exactly sure where. And and you know we're coming to a time where you know hopefully they will admit that Lemuria existed too. And certainly your petroglyph site is is a really good. Um, hint that there is something more profound there because you don't you don't just find these sites just, just standing out there all by themselves. There's usually a lot more there, and and you know look at go back Beckley Tepe. They haven't even started to uncover all that's there, and um, there are other places where you know in Africa there are. There are circles, and they're they're finding more in England with lidar, so that so that there's there's so much going on with new discoveries. It would be great to have somebody take lidar over the whole the whole island to discover what else is there too. How big an island is it? Well, Pompeii is a little bit smaller than the Hawaiian island of Kauai, so uh, it's it's. Uh, I think it's about 60 miles in circumference. It's not, you know, it's not that large. So yes, they did do one lidar study uh, of uh, the island adjacent to Nanmadal, and uh-huh. they found terracing there, and uh, that was really exciting. And um, but the petroglyphs, I mean, that would be the easiest. I mean, relatively, I mean, you, you wouldn't have to clear the jungle. So I'm hoping that that, you know, that's actually feasible, but there needs to be, you know, an archaeologist that can get funding, an organ, do this professionally. I mean, there's not really anyone on the island that can do this sort of thing. So, uh, well, that's, and, you know, that's probably, that's probably why it's, it, it's probably why it survived, you know, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> yes. And the thing is, uh, Pompeii being a a fertility site, I mean, more than fertility, I mean, the whole, what you mentioned about, you know, the pagan or the ancient, the motherland, uh, it it was, 
yes, not a religion as we know it today, but it was, they were just, nature was their religion. They were one and the same. And that uh-huh. continues with uh, indigenous people around the world uh, still. And so uh, we, we need to, uh, I think, pay attention to that. <laughs> well, I agree with you because certainly, um, certainly the, the earth energy is something that, that people are not paying attention to. People are, are, are just now rediscovering that earthing um, is, is something that helps to balance out your, your whole system uh, walking barefoot on the earth, you know, puts you in touch with the earth heart, the, the heartbeat of the earth, and, and that helps you to be healthier. I mean, it's, it's very clear, yeah. and they've got, a, so, so it's, it's a matter of, come on, let's, let's look and see what else is out there. I think people are so blown away with, you know, the big stuff. They're not pay any, paying any attention to stone circles like you've got or stone chambers like Patrick and I found or any of the stone edifices that are out there that are signals that there was a culture here and there was a reason for it and pay attention to it. So I am, I, your book is beautifully done. The pictures are phenomenal. And the charts you have in there showing, you know, the different, um, the different land masses and how they, they probably were um, does lead one to believe that, you know, yes, Lemuria has to be as real as Atlantis was. And, and again, it's probably going to be a while before it's actually found. But once it's found, it will be so enlightening because that may bring people's awareness back to the you know what was the culture like what what were they involved in and that opens the door to um having people understand that being apart and attached to the earth is far more important than the stars to be honest with you <laughs> exactly i agree i agree <laughs> it's closer to home too <laughs> yeah for sure but for sure but well, I would, I would. Everything is, like you say, everything. There are so many discoveries on all the continents going back, older and older sites. So it's just, uh, this is the time where things are, are being exposed and, uh, and more things accepted. So it's very exciting. Well, and in a way, you were chosen, too. So um, I, I think, you know, you can't belittle that. But I would imagine this book is only the beginning of, of you know, a lot of stuff that you're going to have to be, you, you will be drawn into in spite of yourself. So um, <laughs> going going to be a fun trip for you for sure. I just noticed our time, and our time is up. But I, I do want to thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me and my audience and, I, you know, your book is phenomenal. I, I noticed that you you had a website that wasn't up yet when I got my guest form. Is your website up now? No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> I'm not my next book. <laughs> my next book is focusing just on numb at all. So I'm I'm not sure when when that's going to happen. I do have a Facebook page uh, uh, with the title of the book. But I haven't uh, finished my second book, and then I will uh, turn my uh, energy towards that. Well, I want to thank you so much. This has been so fascinating. Can't wait for Nan Madal. That that will be a fun <laughs> one. 
Um, that it, it happens to be something I'm intrigued by. But I thank you so much for being here tonight and so much for sharing your time with us. Well, thank you, Barbara. For, it was an honor and a privilege to talk to you. I'm always, my favorite topic, of course. <laughs> yeah, stones. <laughs> Mine, too. Right. Mine, too. So thank you again, and, and I will make sure that, that when your next book comes out, I will get you back, and I'll pump you for more information. <laughs> I look forward to it. Take care now, and good night. Good night. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Do check in with us tomorrow night. Um, Mark has a fascinating show, and then later in the week I have Susan Shumsky coming on. So, again, it's a full week for us, but... Uh, do do take your take some time to share your time with us because we have some amazing people that are just you know just it, it's we're stumbling over them and it's we're trying so hard to get everybody on because they're all so fascinating. Have a great evening, everybody. Take care now. <laughs>